I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Swedes 2 Turnips 1. Our football journalists at The Sun have seen it all. Away days, foreign trips, managers and meltdown. In this podcast, we'll focus on their experiences and how they get their stories. From gossip and tip-offs to world-exclusive interviews, we will cover it all. I'm Rashmin Chowdhury and joining me in the studio today, we have The Sun's head of sport, Sean Custis, football editor Charlie Wyatt and football writer with the son Mr Paul Jiggins. Hello gentlemen, are you all good? (laughs) Good to have you all with us. Well every show we're going to be kicking off with a quick fire question to get things rolling and you've got to answer the first thing that comes into your head. Okay, first up, what is the weirdest meal you've eaten when covering football abroad? Elk. Elk? Elk, elk in Latvia. Never had it before, never had it since. I've never had it since simply because it's never been on the menu but it was all right. In what format? Well, it was. I think it was served cold, uh, sort of like a cold meat on your plate about midnight when we just arrived in Latvia, and we thought, well, we may as well try a bit of elk, and we did. It's fine. It's all right. I recommend it. Elk's okay. Charlie, uh, horse in Italy, I guess. Oh, you did. I suppose we've all eaten horse really without realising. Yeah, yeah, I did. That yeah, could be. Did you order yeah, it though? In 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 Milan? No, I didn't. No. Ooh, no, what did you think a, you were eating? Dog. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> um, it sort of, yeah, it was a cross between. I, I, it, it was. I, I just ordered wrongly, basically, and uh, yeah, I thought it was beef. At least you had a leg each. Did you go puffin? Oh, in Iceland. Yeah, a bit mushroomy. It is a bit. A bit yeah. mushroomy. I'm eating sort of um, an overcooked mushroom. But it went down well with a minky whale meat, Ooh. which was alongside it. So the what meat? Minky whale. Well, in Iceland. I'm glad I had breakfast. Um, on to the first topic. Okay, with the national side in action right now, what is it like following England as part of the press pack? You obviously go as like a little family. Sean, what has been your what have your experiences oh, been travelling abroad with the Three Lions? Following any England team with David Beckham in was a completely different experience to going with a team which didn't have Beckham in with Beckham in it. Security everywhere, security for the press, security for the team was off the scale even when they were staying in England it would be the same if he wasn't in it life was free easy team could relax I'm not saying that was necessarily his fault sometimes it was the paranoia of the FA as well who sometimes perhaps made him more important than he was teams abroad could not believe some of the security that him and we had I mean we would at the same time we would have to be escorted sometimes if we were on a coach going to a game I mean Turkey away springs to mind where we were just you just had to duck down and the coach then when you get off we had riot shields above our heads to protect us from uh, missiles and all that all the way to the tunnel it was England away in Turkey probably after the threatened strike I think uh, 2003 and we it was really really intimidating scary sometimes if you're in a press box which is surrounded by fans that can be very difficult Andorra away, which was played in Barcelona, springs to mind totally because we were surrounded by England fans who were baying for blood against Steve McLaren. 
That's they, pretty juicy, though, isn't it? You... No, but this was, this was nasty. This was really oh. horrible stuff. This was the fans over the back of your shoulder screaming at you to tell it like it is to make sure that... Ooh guy at McLaren was sacked and the players and tell it like it is. We, we had Montenegro in, in this set of qualifiers and it's the, the third time England have played there but in Podgorica there's the, there's the main uh, press box in the main stand and there's an overflow area Sean said and it's on the other side of the ground in front of the corner flag and that was my view from the game and it's not totally covered as well so it was raining and getting uh, obviously water on the laptop but also lots of locals standing up in front of you and you're at times you can't actually see what's uh, what's going on. Oh, thank heavens for the under twenty one, so we don't get all that. <laughs> I, th- I think in terms of covering the national team abroad, it, it has changed, as Sean said, in terms of post Beckham, it's got a lot more relaxed. I think that uh, while at times when Roy Hodgson and Gary Neville there, it was still quite paranoid, and that's changed under Gareth Southgate. E- even though you've got some, some big names England team, they don't behave like A listers. And I think going back to the so-called golden generation mm. where they obviously thought they were a lot better than what they probably were. Uh, and as a result, that you got that whole sort of vibe from the team. I remember yeah. a Spain-England game. We'd been so used to all the security that goes with England and the fact England would stay outside of town um, that they would be, have be cut off from the population. It was England versus Spain, I think, in Birmingham. And we went to see the Spanish team at a hotel in the centre of Birmingham and we were all in the lobby. And Geiska Mendieta, who played for Spain, walked in through the lobby with a carrier bag with CDs in it. And he'd just come off the street and we went, have you just seen that? Mendieta's just walked off the street through the hotel lobby. He's been to the shop. <laughs> and we're like, what? He's human? That's, that's incredible. Because Mendieta was a pretty big main yeah. player at the time. And he'd just gone out for a walk. And now England players just didn't do that. It was yeah. just unheard of. But, but even with England's travel plans around Sven... Uh, and it's often up to the manager when they've got a tournament away or, or just, just an international fixture away. They, they ask the manager you know, what, what time they want to fly out to the venue and what time. So it's very, very much up to the manager. And Sven would always say uh, to the FA officials, I'll give you an answer once I've spoken to David. You know, you know, Beckham actually was having... He really a, was the was king, wasn't he? ...was having a say over what time the, you know, the England flights were heading off to the venues. That's, that's, that, that, that was his power. It's amazing that he wore the trousers in the England squad but didn't wear them at home, did he? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to speak to Victoria about that but we might get her on the pod. What was Bex like with all of you guys then? Was uh, it, so if the paraphernalia around him was all very much, you know, in a very controlled environment, what was he like as a person with you guys? He's very good. Yeah. I, I did many a one-to-one interview with him and many when he was England captain when he was an England player he played the games extremely good he was always good cop you knew that if Beckham was up for interview you know it was that's your back page that's Mm. your first spread and he knew how to play the game and how to give you a line after we joined Milan and and flew us out to Milan they just drawn Man United and I think I remember about him most was that he was immaculate not only would he, um, you know, he got a, a, a reputation for being maybe a bit thick, but he addressed all the media. But I remember him being so smart. The lining of his suit was the same pattern as his socks. Really? Oh, yeah, <laughs> incredible. That's attention to detail. Uh, isn't I, uh, sorry, no, I was just looking, but the, the thing was, we sat around a round table, and every journalist had three questions, and the Italians weren't happy about me being there. So, they, I would sit on the end, like you know, when you go to the last one turns up at a 
child's birthday party and the seats so I was on a <laughs> stool that was about a foot off the ground which meant my, only my chin was available to see off the table and he um, remained on the table the, the Italians the first three journalists waited their nine qu- first nine questions on where did you get his hair cut where did you buy your shoes where did you buy your suits and they were football journalists but it was so sort of a style icon and you know perfect place for him in Milan. But I think I think with Beckham the, and the way he dealt with journalists and covering him. I mean, I, I, I covered his matches when he was playing in Italy, in Paris for PSG and, and uh, LA Galaxy. It was amazing how all of them he was able to charm by being a pro. And uh, actually, if you look at it, the way he behaved in the course of Madrid as well. Gareth Bale could have taken a few tips of how to deal with journalists, how to just do the PR machine. If you go right back to the start of his England career, this is a World Cup thing, but mm. in 98, he was just in the squad. Glenn Huddle knew he should be in the squad, but found him a little bit exasperating, and there was a lot of pressure on for Huddle to put him in the team at the start. There was a whole cloak-and-dagger operation to fly his girlfriend into Santa Nazaire Airport, posh spice, Victoria mm. at the time, because she was on a Spice Girls World Tour, and they flew her in late at night so he could have a one-hour meeting with her down at the <laughs> airport. Meeting. And one hour, blimey. What do you do with everything for 50 minutes? So he was, he, was, he was taken especially at the airport. You could see you, to have this late late night assignation with her and uh, you could see that exasperated huddle no end. But David yeah. Davis, who was in charge of... Uh, press at the time thought it was really important in order to keep Dave really happy I say another example of him in action though uh, we were we went out as a as a group 2003 maybe uh, again all the press people the FA said we're going to set you up do some interviews out there David Beckham will do some stuff with you 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 fly out when we got there Beckham was very unhappy with something had been written in the Daily Mail and he banned the Daily Mail he said I am not speaking to to you now, we thought, as the FA had taken us all out, this was not on, that you couldn't just suddenly ban somebody and decide not to, not to speak to them. So we decided we wouldn't talk to him either. So the FA are like, uh, you what? And there's a massive standoff. I mean, desks yeah. back in London were all panicking about this because they'd cleared their back page and their spread for stuff. And myself and a couple of other journalists decided that it wasn't right, that it was everybody or nobody. And Beckham went off and said, right, I'm not talking to you. And then uh, 15 minutes later, he came back. He said, I want to see the guy from the Daily Mail, who's Matt Lawton. Uh, took him aside, had his word with him, then came out and did his interview with all of us. And when he brought out his uh, autobiography, he references this and he said, I was so impressed with the journalists that day, how wow. they stood up for each other yes. and were solid. And he said, I had to admire it. I was quite impressed that he could say that, yeah, you know. But he made his stand, we made ours, and it got sorted out. And it got sorted out. And what what was Victoria like in all of this? Did you have many dealings with her? Um, my was cousin that? was a removal man. When I, when I was coming out from all the years when he moved out and mm-hmm. moved back to have Hertfordshire, she went, oh, um, you're travelling back down to London's night board. So my cousin's gone, yeah. So oh, I'll do you some food. So my cousin's thinking, oh, great, you know. What a spread they're going to have, you know, <laughs> salmon, caviar, or, you know, a big hamper. And it came out in like a little sort of hamper. And in it were three ham rolls with no butter. <laughs> <laughs> House of Madrid was see, really nice. She probably doesn't eat butter, Too much fat. House of Madrid was really nice, actually. It's really nice afternoon, interviewing and all that, very laid back. And at the end of it, he was going back, he was going back to England. And I was going back to England. Did you share I, a cab to the airport? Sort of, he, sort of, he was packing, and I knew he was sort of going on his 
private jet. Oh, go on. And I had, a, <laughs> I had EasyJet or something like that. And he goes, you've gone back. And he lived in Sawbridge at oh, the time, which is around yeah. the corner from my house, basically. <laughs> We're both going back to Stansted. Can't wait to hear and the he end goes, of this. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll see you. I went, see you I'll see you. And he, he actually went out of his own house before I did. Sadly. He didn't invite you, and he well, knew I'd you were a, going I'd back. Well, I had a really good afternoon. I, I'm not blaming him for that necessarily. <laughs> I thought, but maybe he didn't think of it. I mean, you've got the superstar there with David Beckham. What's it like covering the kids? Oh, the absolute opposite. Fantastic. You get to see him before you get into any of the senior squad and develop any bad ways. Um, and obviously, when you're covering them, you give them a little bit of a leeway. Um, I remember one trip we asked. Yeah, I'm going to say his name, what the hell, Jack Rodwell. Mm-hmm. He said to him, he'd been out injured, uh, Everton, he was just making his name there, uh, had a serious injury, and we, we said to him, so, you know, Everton agreed we could interview him, as they did a lot of the under-21 players, and then the, the, the FA handled the interview, give them their first toast, if you like, being in, interviewed on the international stage, and normally only be a two or three of us away on the trip anyway. So we said to Jack Rodwell, you know, how did you sort of convalesce and do rehabilitation after you recovery from your operation I think you had an ankle surgery or something he said I went away to a Caribbean island or an island in the Indian Ocean somewhere he said just had three weeks sitting there feet up just watching box sets on me uh, and DVDs on my uh, laptop so of course then the question to journalists because you'll think oh this stuff writes itself what, what sort of films were you watching and without any flicker or anything like that with no iron or anything he just went oh porn <laughs> Stuart Pearce spat his oh, latte out. I love it. Stuart Pearce spat his, la- spat his latte out. And I went, right, Jack, I'm going to ask you a that question. Box set of oh, porn? Oh, yeah, amazing. Can you get it? Uh, and, um, he, I'm he not aware that a box he, he set of exists. Yeah, so he said, like, Jack, I'm going to ask you that question again. And the answer you're going to give me is 24. That's how long ago it was. I remember that. The answer you're going to give me is 24. <laughs> no wonder he uh, was out for so long. The event called the Two and War, which is still going now, when I remember going in the nineties, and the press would stay in the same hotel as as the young players, which is quite an eye opener. I've got mm. to say, let's let's say this particular group were quite into um, partying around. So this book, which group this are we group talking about? Was Ray Parler, okay, Jamie Carragher, Jamie Redknapp, Robbie Fowler, and they were in. And remember, we hadn't qualified for the World Cup in '94, so it meant that yeah. the, the young players who might have been in the senior squad were all in this tournament. They actually won the tournament from memory, but at the same time, they, they had some had good nights out. And there was a goalkeeper <laughs> who's, who's uh, sadly passed away now called Alan Nichols, and he had, had played for Plymouth Argyle, and he was in the squad. He was seen as a sort of uh, Peter Shilton was sort of mentoring because he'd been at Plymouth Argyle, but Alan Nichols was certainly led the party, shall we say, and he had a trick which was he could put a whole box of cigarettes in his mouth. So 20 cigarettes in his mouth, Ooh. light them all at the same time, and smoke them. And this was quite something to watch, I've got to say. It was like... <laughs> that, that Without is... choking? Pardon? Without no, choking. choke at all. No, he could smoke them all. Brilliant. Absolutely. Never seen anything like wow. it. Quite staggering stuff. Um, the goalkeeper, who was Paul Gerrard, mysteriously got sent home. I was told it was for doing a handstand down the flight of stairs and getting injured at the bottom <laughs> all sorts went on there was a few late night parties diving into the pool and various other things but they they won the tournament so who's to say what's the right way to go about it <laughs> what do you guys do to keep yourselves entertained on the road because obviously you go oh, on these international tournaments I don't need a box set <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say actually I don't think 
keeping yourself entertained is is not something that crops up so much anymore because of the the advent the internet twenty four seven news. Yeah, I you're working. I know the reporters now on the road all the time are working a lot lot more during the days than they ever used to be. I mean, when you did trips abroad previously, mm. you had the whole day yourself. Go on, go visit a museum and yeah. museum or whatever. But they mean we did. I mean, I, yeah. Belarus stuff like that. I can remember visiting fascinating places. You'd go off Pompeii, whatever. You'd actually spend the day yeah. going around places like that once you'd recover from the previous night's hangover. Let's be honest. Probably the first children to ever go into a museum. Do you realise? <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, very cultured man. But nowadays you're writing stuff for the uh, the web in the mornings and the afternoons. Uh, you're doing sort of various radio stuff, maybe a bit of TV stuff. And there's everybody very, wants a piece, don't they? There's now? very little mm. free time for journalists now. The old the olden days. It was a lot more different. Some of us would go for, honestly, would go for a run. Some would go into the gym. And we used we used to laugh. All the journalists who are from the sixties, seventies, we call them the old school journalists because mm-hmm. they would go out on the rise, absolutely trolley. No, they had a whole day to get over with, then get to the get to the match. All right, maybe not all of them, but most of them. <laughs> I would be considered middle school because I'd go out and have a have a few beers, but I'd like to go for a run in the morning. To a bit more measured, bit. yes. Then nowadays, they're all what we call new school. Oh. They don't they don't tend to drink. They go to the gym. They keep fit. They're very much, very, very different, certainly from the old school. And also, was. we're seven days now, where before when you went away yeah. on, on a trip, if it cost a weekend, a you would always guarantee oh. Saturday would be off. But obviously now, not now. And... It's full on now. It's more full on than certainly as you know, what Sean said than when he, than, than he used to be. I think, yeah, and also online is the, the obvious difference, particularly when you're abroad, particularly when you're in a time difference and, and you're sort of expanding it beyond football. But at the, at the moment, for example, you've had the, the US Open or any sport in America where there's a five hour time difference. Mm. Yeah, in the in the past, this applies to to Brazil, which was really testing for offices at the at the World Cup because of the time difference there. But but it, you know, in, in America, when it's seven o'clock there, it's midnight here. So everyone, all the offices have gone home more or less after twelve mm. one. But now, of course, with online, so it, you know, even the evenings, it is just it is twenty four hours, or certainly sort of eighteen, nineteen hours. It has changed quite a lot. Mm. What is the worst place you've stayed in? The worst country, the worst environment, the worst. Everything. It was Croatia, and it was Krizanac, I think, which is where the end of the line on Murder on the Orient Express. And oh, that's telling. The, the hotel was really poor, mm. like really dirty. Um, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a tourist town. It was just a normal town. I don't think it was really a hotel. Um, came back, and my knee started getting a bit swollen. Then I went to the hospital got taken in the hospital therefore it was deep vein thrombosis and while I was in now uh, the doctor came in who was on secondment from the hospital of tropical diseases who said can I have a look at your knee a minute he said oh you've got a scratch on the other knee I said yeah I picked that I said and like load of gunk come out I said oh, don't worry he said you've not got deep vein thrombosis he said you've been bitten I was on antibiotics for about two no, months under the, no follow up under the hospital of tropical diseases went back wow. two months later and was told, I said, oh, what was it, a mosquito or something? I mean, no, a spider. And as a, as a result of that, the diagnosis after that, I've got septic arthritis. Oh, <laughs> that's from nice. working Brilliant. on the beat. Wow. I mean, so I'd normally bring about perfume, but instead I bought you know, <laughs> 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 septic arthritis. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really international football, this, but when I, uh, I'll never forget going to Donetsk with Arsenal in quite a few years ago, um, before they built the modern stadium at Donetsk. 
and it was just starting to develop. So you might have one McDonald's in town, but the rest of the city was really old Eastern Bloc. We stayed. We got to this hotel. Uh, I, I'd never seen so many guys with machine guns. Guns. We had a gun guard on each floor, and the rooms were like nothing I ever seen. There were bed bugs. We. Um, uh, I later discovered that previous journalists who had been to places like this took their own sleeping bags because a, a, a lot of times if you went to these country you take you um, on sleeping bags I wish I'd done that that night it was horrific. and then I, I was really hungry it was, wasn't like you could go out and there was a local sort of supermarket nothing like that there was a a shop down the road which sold bread and cheese and water so I queued I am not kidding you I queued for three quarters an hour for this shop to get some cheese slices and it uh, got the last lot of cheese slices out of the fridge. Honestly, I opened the mouldy as anything. I had a mouldy <laughs> oh cheese sandwich goodness. for my lunch, and uh, I didn't brave eat anything eat else. I didn't eat. And it, I, I had to. I was so hungry. There was nowhere. Yeah. There was nowhere to go. So, say it's not all glamour. It, it was actually Donetsk. My uh, one of the sort of uh, not so great experiences. Donetsk. Uh, venue for Euro 2012. Obviously, that that ground's not used anymore because of the problems around Donetsk and and the the, the Russian separatists. So, Shakhtar Donetsk play their games um, Kharkiv, uh, in Kharkiv now. But it was um, England played there a couple of times. I was sent there last minute for the semi final between Portugal and Spain in 2012, and we did a last minute booking. And it said it was a city centre flat. But it, it, it was it was miles outside in, in, in a uh, right in, near city centre flat. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it was, it, it was a residential block, and I, I, I've got there, and I was met by two guys, uh, one of which was drunk, and they wanted payment again, and they were charging. It was eight hundred euros they wanted in cash from me, and we'd already paid them. Were you on your own? And I was on my own, and, and, and then I clocked that one of them had a gun. We, uh, I, I managed to fudge it and said, I'll pay you later, even though we'd already paid. I checked the office. Me and um, a colleague at The Sun who's, who's having similar problems, um, we actually uh, ended up going to the Portuguese team hotel where my colleague put on quite astonishing theatrics to say that we don't have a hotel room and Cristiano Ronaldo was walking past this bizarre moment <laughs> and um, in the end they just caved in and uh, gave us both hotel room but yeah that, I think it had potential for getting a bit nasty in, in the next couple and um, in Albania when we went with England um, I said <laughs> I'll never forget for all sorts of reasons I always remember I was driving into Tirana and seeing lots of women in the fields picking I think potatoes I think they were potatoes about six o'clock at night and arriving in the town square and all the blokes sat around the fountain drinking beer and I thought this and is a different this, and he, <laughs> thought, this is a different very sort strange of, going on here this is a different sort of country and we get there we, we sort of do whatever we're doing and then we go out and we get a taxi and I, this is no exaggeration every mile in this taxi you'd stop because there was so many massive potholes in the road and there'd be somebody with a gun, and these were not military people with a gun, poke the gun into the taxi, and the taxi driver would say, you've got to pay that person for us to get on to the next, to go further down the road. Pay the person with a gun. Drove around the pothole, which they had clearly dug. Further down the road, stop again, big pothole, pay the guy. <laughs> Unreal. You think this is just nuts? Oh. Yeah, I was in Nigeria. It was the uh, under-20s World Youth, or the under-20s World Cup, 
and yeah, it was '99, and I stayed with the England team, and that was a team of I think it was uh, Joe Cole, Matthew Etherington, and um, the team. A lot of the team f- fell really ill, and a couple of people in uh, hospital on drips when they got back. Uh, England lost all their games. I remember the hotel. Um, initially, it was a pound a minute to ring out, and by the end, they realised that so many English players were ringing their families. It was costing fifteen pounds a minute because uh, they were just changing the amount. So in, in the end, we all cottoned onto this and were asking our families and offices to ring the hotel. In the end, they just stopped answering. Um, but anyway, in, in, in England lost. I had to get to a city called Bouchy, and the England team flew home, and I had to go through an area against foreign office advice and as a result I, I went in a taxi with a member of the, of the British foreign office who insisted they came with me um, because it was an area where we were actually warned there, there were sort of um, gangsters and bandits and that there, there was sort of a, a reasonable chance that we might get held up and taken hostage wow. um, and uh, any, anyway, they must have read some of my match reports. Not worth it. Not worth it. They didn't want to read the ransom note. Go on, my <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The one World Cup that really did change the face of how England were perceived, I suppose, is 2006 when the WAGs were born. And you probably, is that a World Cup, do you think, where you had more access to families than anywhere else? <sighs> well, you had access to families because they st- all stayed in the town of Baden-Baden while um, the England team stayed outside about sort of two miles up the road in their own secluded hotel. But they would come into town at night time sometimes to meet the families. However, if they didn't, the I mean, it's a whole other story, the whole mm. wag situation. Yes, which that. we will come on they to. Would, they would entertain everybody for the evening. They would be out every night. Um, I've never been as close, in as close proximity to the England families over such a long period of mm. time as that. And it never happened again. Oh, <laughs> really? It was just, I mean, it was just off the scale. I mean, Cheryl Cole was there. Nancy Delolio would change her swimming costume three times a day while claiming that it was terrible that the paparazzi were over the other side of the the river so yeah. they obviously played up to it as well I, they I must have loved this role some of yes. them did yes and then you saw that they our, put a screen they put a screen up which was about uh, over at brenner's park where the hotel was knowing the paparazzi was on the other side mm. they put a screen up which was about this which is about three foot square <laughs> pretending to like, yeah. oh don't violate our yeah. privacy and yet they would change their outfits three times a day and mysteriously come out yeah. from behind the screen 
They must um, have had their makeup artists and hairdressers and all <laughs> sorts was, with them. Uh, yeah, I, I think they, they, they did quite want to be in the uh, hmm. in the papers each day, I think. There was some, uh, there was some all sorts of things. Uh, Frank Lampard's girl, girlfriend at the time um, was famously one of the leaders oh, of the gang. She liked to paint the cigarette when she was out and about um, <laughs> and sort of led the, she led the... She did. She was one of the ones who led the party. Did you see them out together a lot then? Were they were they doing the a players. lot together? No, the, 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 the wags. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were go out together. together all the time. Because I remember distinctly that Cheryl and Victoria were slightly apart from the rest. Was that right? The oh, two of them would right. sit together. A couple of matches, I remember that they were sat I together. I staying in the... I thought they were all in the same hotel in Bresbach. There was just one. Well, I mean, it was a couple. Of it was kind of them two and, and the others. At one I point, partic- I, you may be right. I, I didn't particularly detect that in the hotel. I wasn't staying in that hotel. Some of the journalists were, but I was around there quite a lot. I, I, you may be right. I don't. Re- I don't remember it specifically like that. You must be glad you weren't in the same hotel. Well, actually, it was fun. We got a lot of stories related back to us from <laughs> the lads who were staying there. There was some friction going on from time to time. Then other times they were gathered round the piano singing songs. Uh, it, yes, it was the surreal World Cup. Is that one of the things that have changed, Sean, going, sort of come, uh, going forward, that England now, covering England abroad, has become as much as a news event and a celebrity event, maybe, is it? Football? Yeah, I... I think it certainly has. It, it, certainly in my lifetime, you've seen mm. it develop to that. That I mean, you would take previously, there would have been no interest taken in sort of partners. Partners didn't even go, yeah. to be yeah. honest, to, to World Cups. And then some of the partners realised it was very good publicity for them, they being models, singers, mm. whatever, and actually used it to their advantage. So to blame the press media for invading their privacy, mm. which was always ludicrous, is, is nonsense because mm. they... They saw it as a great opportunity to um, further their own careers. Who's the coolest family member you've ever met? Who gave you gossip? Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go for Jordan Henderson's mum. Go on. Go on. We've seen his Excuse dad, haven't we, after the Champions um, yeah. League final. What was his mum like? Oh, uh, she was fantastic. Um, during England 21 games, she'd go and watch. I remember once, uh, it was the Euro under 21, 2011 in Denmark. And actually... Um, Jordan's mum, his stepdad and uh, his sister stayed in the same hotel as us, along with the Sturridges, and um, and and they was as down to earth and as approachable and as talkative as, as you could ever wish to find. It was fantastic, and they came out after the first game. Jordan's mum, and we said, "Oh, did you watch it on Saturday?" She went, "Yeah." Have you, have you spoken to him? Yeah, I spoke. To, excuse my accent here. Apologies to the Welsh <laughs> listeners. <laughs> she went. Um, yeah, he phoned me up after Saturday and said, Mum, we drew against Spain and I played really well. And I said to him, no, son, I watched it on TV and you were shite. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it. Fantastic. So, you know, if your mum can't tell you oh, when you yeah. went about a game, who can? And, and there, there has been a culture shift, hasn't there? You were talking about it before, about you know what it is like to cover England now, that, that it's come full circle from the celebrity of David Beckham to how it is now. So looking ahead to Euro 2020, are you as journalists more open to the fact that, you know, the the environment will be a lot more relaxed and Gareth Southgate's more relaxed? And it, it does it make it a bit more amenable to everybody? I, I, th- I think, yeah, the, the, just going back to the paranoia earlier, we were mentioning the change now and, you know, the change as journalists when you're covering that. France in 2016, you know the Euros. Uh, it was a, it became a bit of a joke, but the uh, the players had a darts and snooker tournaments at their 
uh, hotel in uh, Chantilly. In, in, in the main room, there was a massive chandelier that had to be taken down in the games room because they were afraid that the England players were going to swing on it. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but the, 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 the players, uh, Joe Hart... Uh, was was amongst among this group decided that they wanted to keep secret who was playing well at pool and darts and they wouldn't answer any questions and not that it was ever going to be a, a great news story it's a mm. throwaway line who mm. won the pool throwaway line yeah, yeah, who won exactly. the darts and, um, <laughs> and so but they wouldn't tell us and became more and more of a of a, of a, of a, of a joke and it was clearly a real issue that they didn't want this to get out and 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 at, weird, the, no? and, and, and at, at the end Joe Hart yeah post England having just been humiliated by Iceland Joe Hart is in the the mix zone the interview area and uh, a colleague from a newspaper basically said Joe now you're out who won the darts (laughs) (laughs) and um he didn't take that very well Uh, and you know in 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 complete contrast you know Gareth Southgate in Russia in Rapino this sort of forest in the middle of nowhere where we were uh, and it was you know very different and as a result, the England players would come to where the press conferences were, and it was on TV and radio and in the papers. They were you know, actually playing darts against mm. the journos. That's the backstory behind that. I think a lot of fans might remember seeing the darts being played, and it was almost a sort of a, uh, an unsaid joke that that was as, as a result of the utter stupidity and paranoia Gareth, that was going on in Chantilly. I don't think that players are as paranoid now about media and as they used to be I mean some of the big players in the England team certainly wanted to give you absolutely nothing they Mm. didn't want to give you a quote nothing interesting it was always you know oh we'll see how the game goes you know we're always trying hard but hey we'll see what happens in the end but I mean there was a classic David Seaman absolute classic I'll never forget going to this it was a preview uh, he, he was doing a promotion for Legoland we go down and it was absolutely hosing it down. It was so wet. The idea, the payoff is if you go along to promote the company, you will get an interview with them afterwards. So David Seaman comes out everywhere and he goes, I'm only talking about Lego. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of, you are, he says, I'm not talking about anything else except Lego. So Neil Silver, who was at the Daily Mirror at the time, said, OK, then. If an Arsenal Lego team played against a Tottenham Lego team, who do you think would win? He goes, oh, you don't catch me out like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sneaky That's thing. That's the you. level of paranoia you used to get like that. Indeed. Okay, well, this is like the 60th anniversary of the European Championships. So, as a treat, UEFA are, uh, are allowing you to go to 12 different cities in 12 European countries. Given the travel stories that you all have, is that novel or is it a nightmare? I think given France was my first Euros, senior Euros, given how I thought that was a great success, I think it's a real shame that they're taking away it being in one venue, especially if we get a a team like Kosovo who could be going there. For them not to experience a real sort of tournament in one Mm. country atmosphere. Well, Baku is on the cards, isn't it? Yes. In the the last stages. Exactly. You know, let's hope they get back in time for the final. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever goes there. I, I didn't enjoy the Euros in France. Didn't I, I didn't think it was a particularly well-run tournament. And look, it, it, it's, it, it is a bit crazy, this one. Yeah, tw- 12 different venues. Um, but it, as journalists, it's going to be a weird one because lots of teams, unusually, whereas obviously England were based in France and Germany were based in France because all the teams were based in France. But, but on this one, they're probably going to be based in their own countries. 
So it's actually going to make covering the whole tournament. It's not a case of going to be, you know, Budapest is going to have games and so is Bucharest. You'll only be there for the games. You'll have to come back to London again mm. or go where the teams are. It's going to be a very, very unusual tournament. But e- equally, look, we're all quite critical of the, of the UEFA Nations League and it's worked out well. And in a funny sort of way, I actually think this could be a great success and actually be quite good fun for supporters. Yeah, it's different, isn't it? But I mean, Russia is a pretty large country. So, mm. I mean, you, you were travelling some long distances there and I never felt that... At times, everybody was in the same country there, to be honest. You, you well, different time zones, it? Different time zones mm. and everything. So I think playing... One visa, though. This is novel, <laughs> though, to play 12 <laughs> cities in 12 European countries. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's... What's it like? It's like a Champions League, isn't it, really, in yeah. a lot of ways. But it will be, as Charlie says, it will be very weird for your countries to be based in their own country while they're playing a tournament. Different, I'm not sure I'm in favour of it, but, you know... What's wrong with the good news? Semi-finals else. and final in England. So we will we'll have a we'll in the later stages. I feel like a, a tournament at home. home yeah, yeah. Again. yeah. Okay, gentlemen. I've loved hearing all your stories. I'm sure there's plenty more where all of that came from. So uh, that is it for our first show. This has been Swedes Two Turnips One, and I've been Reshman Chowdhury. I'd like to think I still am as well. Thank you, Sean, Charlie, and Paul. Look forward to uh, having you on the show again. Hope that all you nice people out there enjoyed listening. If you did, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or your favourite podcast app, and hit that subscribe button. And if you like the show, please rate and review. We'll see you next time. 